15, beginning of verse 3, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen? Amen. Amen. A day is coming when all nations will worship and give God the glory that is due his name. Well, it is our second annual name tag November. So hopefully everybody's got a name tag on. So when I tell you to shake hands in a moment, those people that you don't remember their names, now here's your chance for the rest of the month to memorize names. So welcome somebody and call them by their first name. Do that now.
All right, you may return to your seats. I hate to interrupt the fellowship, but we, we got some. Yeah. Come on, Maya. Good morning. Welcome to Northside. We're thankful that you're here to worship with us. If this is your first time or first time in a long time, let me extend a special welcome to you. We're delighted to have you. If this is your first time, there's a couple ways you can let us know about that. There's a QR code that you can scan in the bulletin or there's a connection card that you can fill out uh, in the foyer. It is a great day of worship and I'm excited to be here and I hope you are as well. We have a lot of announcements we're going to cover at the end of the service, but let me just go over a couple things. One, don't forget about Casas Por Cristo, right? This is a mission trip that we're doing in February to Guatemala and we're building a home but those materials cost money. And so there's a wall right out here that you can pull an envelope off, and for that amount of money, you can donate that amount of money, and it helps raise money for the house. The, that information is in the bulletin, how much we have raised to date, all that is there. Let me take a moment to extend uh, a major thanks to everyone who took part in Upward Soccer. We just wrapped up that season yesterday. I had a pastor who, I don't know if he has a, probably a grandson that plays here, and he came up to me um, right after the award ceremony, and he just said, hey, and this is a pastor of a larger church than ours, he just said, hey, I want you to know how much I appreciate this and how fantastic you do as a church running this. So, I mean, we have a great reputation in the community. So here's what I want to do quickly, but I do want to recognize, if you helped in Upward in any way, from coaching to refing, concessions to speaking in the microphone, whatever it may be, would you please stand if you served in any way in Upward? Go ahead, stand. Thank you. All right, you can be seated. And now let me extend a special appreciation to Chris Flanoy, who is our commissioner. I mean, he's the one that organizes all of it. And so we have a great reputation in the community because of the organization, because of everyone that participates. But can we just extend a special thank you to Chris for all the hard work that he does. And what I appreciate the most is his emphasis upon the gospel. That's the reason why we do this. We want the gospel shared every practice, every Saturday through a testimony or through the gospel presentation. And the gospel was shared yesterday in a powerful way during closing ceremonies. And so I'm gonna let Chris introduce him more later, but we're blessed to have Eric with us from Creation today. He spoke yesterday at Upward Ceremonies. He did an incredible job last night setting kids' arms on fire. It was amazing. Uh, nobody was hurt. Maybe a few hairs were singed in the process, but it was, it was incredible. And, and the, the message behind it drawn their attention. So he's preaching this morning. He did an incredible job in Sunday school. Listen, he's gonna be with the youth tonight. So any 6th through 12th grade students, parents, have them here. He shared a statistic uh, in Sunday school. Was it 80%? 80% of our kids. And so he said if you were to go into the, the class next door, said they had 10 kids, that means 8 of those 10, when they get to college, are going to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. 80% will stop believing in Jesus, stop believing in God once they get on a college campus. So the work we do here is absolutely vital. 
pouring into future generations. And so he's going to preach uh, this morning. And so let me pray for him, and then Chris will introduce him uh, right before that. Also, let me just remind you, we do have children's church today, but only for our three, four, and kindergarten. So first and second grade, you're going to stay in here. So parents, if you have three, four, and kindergarten, after the choir sings, you know the drill. I'm not going to step back up. Chris is just going to come introduce. If you'll just get up after the choir sings and take your kids to children's church, first and second graders, you're staying in here. Let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship uh, by singing, Jesus Keeps Me Near the Cross. Father, we thank you for a wonderful day to be in your house, to be in your presence, to be with your people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, it has been a, a great weekend already, a challenging weekend. And Lord, I know as, as Eric speaks about the glory of God, God, that's why we were made, to know you, to worship you, to glorify you. This is, our heart should be to see all the nations just bow before you here now before it's too late to give you all the glory. It should be our desire that in our lives we're giving you all the glory. And so Father, thank you for just giving us this time, giving us this place, allowing us to be with these people. We've already sung your praises. We'll continue to sing your praises. Pray for Eric as he preaches the word. Lord, save, transform lives. I pray every week, Father, as I'm preparing, Lord, that this message would lead to the glory of God, to the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. And Father, that's my prayer today. Save those who are lost. May they come to repentance and faith. For the believer, give us joy. Give us peace. Remind us of our hope in Christ. And God, may you be glorified in all of it, including right now as we offer up more praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to worship?
the stated goal of Upward is to, that every person who comes in contact with our program will leave with a clear understanding of the gospel. And if, if they didn't get that through the first nine weeks, they, they definitely got it yesterday out on, out on the field. It's a, good, a great message. So uh, I met Eric about 19 years ago, uh, 2004, at a creation conference in Pensacola called the Creation Boot Camp. At the time, I was actually a relatively new believer. Even though I'd been raised in church all my life, I'd only, I'd only really had a serious relationship with Christ at just slightly before then. It was the creation message that was partly instrumental in uh, bringing, me, bringing me to Christ. But um, I met Eric there, and I followed his ministry since its inception. I followed it and supported it, and get a lot of resources from it that I've, I've used. I've, I've seen Eric at a couple of conferences I've attended. Um, I attended one debate he did with, with an atheist, and he was here in 2016. I can't believe that was seven years ago that he was here. My, how time, how time passes. Um, I've always appreciated his ministry. Uh, it's always been a blessing to me. He's, he's just a, an average guy like me uh, who's interested in getting the gospel out and the Christian message, Christian message out. So I've always appreciated his boldness, his witness, um, things he's willing to do for, for the cause of Christ. So um, if he's already been a blessing on the field, he, he was uh, a blessing last night speaking to the, our young people and setting them on fire, literally and figuratively. That's, uh, that's, that's always a good thing. So uh, he's going to speak to us today, and uh, we're going to take up a love offering at the end. Eric doesn't charge anything to come. He didn't say, you know, i got to have this guaranteed amount before I'll come speak. He just, you know, whatever we're willing to give him. So I pray we would uh, be, you pray about what what. what uh, the gospel message and the work he does, how much that's worth. All right, Eric, come on up. Well, good morning, Northside. I got to tell you, I loved what happened yesterday out on the field. It really was incredible to have a couple hundred parents gathered and get a few minutes to share with them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I praise God for the sacrifice that you guys make to make that a light in kids' hearts throughout this community. That really is Amazing. How many of you had a coach growing up and that coach had an influence on your life? Anybody? It's amazing how much influence one coach can have. It seems different than a teacher, different than a parent or youth pastor. Somehow a coach can get out there and yell at you and you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. And you're good with it. It's amazing, isn't it? It really is. It really is pretty amazing. Uh, well, my name is Eric Coven. I'm from Pensacola, Florida. And I uh, uh, I'm all the way up in the panhandle of Florida. I, I want to introduce my family to you because they are special. I miss them like crazy. You just can't imagine. Well, maybe, so, how many of you travel for work? You've traveled for work? And, okay. So you guys know the feeling, right? Those of you that travel for work, you probably know the feeling of, I'd be just fine if I never traveled again. I mean, you know that feeling at some point. Again, this is 25 years for me. And a couple years ago, I reached that point. I'm like, I just like being home, man. This is, this is tiring. I had to stay in a hotel bed last night. It's not as comfortable, but it is worth it. Man, getting to interact with those kids yesterday, getting to talk to the students last night and the children last night and giving them something that I hope literally sets them on fire for the glory of God with the rest of their life. Coming here this morning and sharing a message of what I've learned about God in hopes that just maybe, just maybe, this will be the Sunday morning that literally is a catalyst in your life where all of a sudden you realize what life is all about. Why do we really exist? What is our purpose? Why, does, why is humanity here? I'm just hoping some of you grab that today. And man, my family says the sacrifice of me leaving them, if you get this, is worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Uh, this is not my wife. Um, 
but it is a picture of her. <laughs> We've been married for uh, 24 years now, and God has blessed us with three amazing children. I can't believe they grew up so fast, don't they? How many of you have grown children already? It goes by fast. I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago. Here I am going, whoa, what happened? Like, it went fast, man. My oldest got married last year. I'm like, what? She's been married for a year and a half now, and we spent a lot of money on this wedding, so let me... Uh, there's another picture. One more here. Here we go. Oh, man. But her husband is a youth pastor. They work together there in Pensacola at Marcus Point Baptist Church. And uh, they serve the youth, man. It is, I'm glad they do that. I mean, I still like the youth, but I'm finding myself. Do you, does this happen? Do you get to the age where all of a sudden you have less patience with the kids? Is that, is it, it, am I experiencing normalness here? Is this just part of getting older? It is. I'm going to turn into the old Scrooge one day, okay? That's just what's going to happen. No, but man, I love it. They put up with the kids. My daughter, Angelina, graduated from Pensacola Christian Academy last year and then uh, did a gap year at Jackson Hole Bible College and just finished at Jackson Hole Bible College out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I attended Jackson Hole Bible College the very first year the school existed. It was amazing, 25 years ago. And uh, uh, Angie, my daughter Angie, was the very first second generation student to go to Jackson Hole. In, it's nothing but Bible. It's one year, it's like a gap year, and you're doing nothing but studying the Bible. Taking incredible trips. They go to the Creation Museum in Ark Encounter from Wyoming. They drive there, stop at different places along the way, do the Grand Canyon, do uh, 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 Mount St. Helens. And anyway, they're learning hands on, and it's one year of nothing but Bible. And a lot of it is taught by Dr. Don Landis, who is an incredible Bible expositor and Bible teacher. He's just amazing. Anyway, if you need a gap year program, Jackson Hole Bible College. I now this is this will be my 13th year, I think. I go out there and I get to talk to the kids, teach the kids uh, for a full week. They're all mine, baby, and I'm like, ooh, I take advantage of that, man. It's like I give it to them. It's fun. Sorry if you ever get taught under me one day. Um, you guys, you guys need to pray, 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 pray for my son Jordan. He and I someday are going to die, okay? Because. We like motorcycles, and uh, oh my goodness, we love riding bikes, and we, I don't know, what, what is it about a bike that all of a sudden you just, you feel cooler than you normally are, you know, it's like, it's like, ah, I feel awesome, it's not as good as flying an F, you know, four or something like that, but I mean, hey, the bike's not bad, okay, Bill, this is the best I can do, um, so I, I, I enjoy this with my son. It's kind of our little getaway. We got that little set where we talk to each other along the way. And sometimes I can ask him how he's doing in life while we're driving. And it just, it creates some bonding time for us, no matter how fast we're going. Um, and then uh, our ministry, Creation Today, is really designed as a discipleship program. The whole point of Creation Today is to, tell, to, to help people really believe or know why they believe what they believe. Because there's a lot of confusion out there, and we want people to have answers. A lot of people do not have the answers that they actually need. I put it this way. I say, hey, if you're confused, you're going to lose, and the people around you are going to lose. But it doesn't have to be that way. You really can't have answers, and you should, right, Addie? Because someone's eternity is at stake. Addie and I got to know each other yesterday pretty good. I think anybody who, meets, who Addie meets gets to know her pretty well. Has anybody ever got the hand wave from Addie? Like, oh, you guys have to. Okay, all right, all right. We experienced that. Okay, just keep going. Okay, right, I'll keep going. 
Hey, somebody's eternity is at stake, right, Addie? And you don't want to be wrong for eternity. I know that doesn't logically make sense. It's not theologically correct. But eternity, which has no time, is way too long to be wrong, okay? You don't want to be wrong for eternity. You sure don't, okay? So our goal is to turn stumbling blocks, the things that keep people from coming to Jesus, into stepping stones. We want to take the stumbling blocks that keep you from living the fulfilled Christian life into stepping stones on your journey to living the fulfilled Christian life, to understanding what life is all about. I've got a message this morning that is, um, it's big, okay? I'm not going to lie, it's big. I plan on, while I'm speaking, I plan on stepping on my own toes, okay? So if your toes get stepped on, just know mine are getting stepped on too, okay? This is a reminder every time I give this message of who God is, and it's a reminder for me to examine my life and say, am I living my life for the glory of God? Now, people ask the question, where did the world and where did the universe actually come from? Where did it come from? There's really only two worldviews. One worldview says, you know, it's amazing, a big bang made the whole world from nothing, whole universe from nothing. This is called the evolutionary or the humanist worldview. The humanist worldview says man is God. We're not going to answer to anybody when we die. This brings up the concept or the, uh, the, the lifestyle of a humanist. See, humanism teaches the end of all being is the happiness of man. The reason you exist is to be happy. Do whatever it takes to make you happy. And according to the humanist, according to the evolutionary worldview, you're just a, you're just a bunch of chemicals that got together by chance over billions of years. So if you need to put chemicals in your body, however you want to get them in there, to make yourself feel good, to make you be happy, that's fine, because that's all you are, is a bunch of chemicals that, that got together over billions of years. That's not the Christian worldview. The Bible teaches in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says God is an incredible designer. I mean, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever thought, Addie, about how fearfully and wonderfully made you are? No, no, seriously, this is incredible. Addie, listen to this. When you were forming in your mom's tummy before you were born, your eyes started to form. And everybody else is true for you too. Your brain started to form. Now your eyeball had to connect to your brain through, through little nerves so that they could talk to each other. So that what you could see, you could actually think about and, and realize that you're seeing it. So a nerve from your eyeball started growing towards your brain. And your brain was like, well, I don't want the eye to have to do all the work. The brain started sending a nerve towards the eye. And the nerve from the brain and the nerve from the eye had to connect and make a connection. That's incredible. Hey, that didn't just happen once. A second nerve had to grow from the eye and a second one from the brain, and they had to connect. Right in the middle, they make that connection. And nerve number one had to connect with nerve number one, and nerve number two had to connect with nerve number two. You couldn't get them backwards. They had to be wired correctly. And then a third one. And then a fourth one. Does anybody know how many nerves connect the eye to the brain and they met in the middle while you were forming in your mother's womb? How many different connections had to be made? And number one had to be one, two had to be two, three had to be three, and so on. How many different connections had to be made? Anybody know? 137 million connections. 
You are fearfully and wonderfully made. We got any electricians in the house? Anybody an electrician? Okay. I tried to be an electrician. It was too shocking for me. <laughs> Can you imagine making 137 million connections in less than one square inch? Why do we find ourselves lifted up with pride and think that we are all that? God is all of that. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. This is the creationist worldview. The creationist worldview says God is God. And he's going to judge everybody one day. By the way, little side note, in case you guys don't know this, God is God. And he's going to judge everybody one day, okay? Judgment day is coming soon to a city near you. This really is going to happen, okay? So you might as well get ready for judgment day, all right? Now, according to the Christian worldview, the Christian worldview, Christianity says the end of all being isn't the happiness of man. The end of all being is the glory of God. The reason we exist is not for our own pleasure. The reason we exist is for God's glory. I have one chief ambition in life, according to Christianity. How do I glorify God? How do I please God? How do I make my creator happy? Huh. Some of you, this will not dawn on you yet, but I hope it does soon. When you realize everything you do is to be done for the glory of God. <laughs> it's interesting. Paul put it this way. Whether you eat or you take a drink, you're to do that to the... Wow. God doesn't want some of the glory out of your life. He wants all the glory from your life. Every single bit of it. We'll talk about that more here in just a second, okay? Now, I'm convinced that the evolution worldview is the root cause of every problem we see in the world today. This humanist worldview is really wreaking havoc on society. Tomorrow, I will fly to Dallas, Texas, where I will go on a college campus, the University of North, North Texas, with a couple scientists from the Institute for Creation Research, and we will do some open-air teaching there. Sometimes it gets hostile. Sometimes it's friendly. Sometimes I'll set up a sign like this one. God created the heavens and the earth. Prove me wrong. And then I'll just sit there and I'll have students come up one at a time and sit at the table with me and we have a discussion while the other students listen. And my heart is for the students to know the truth of who God is. They are being lied to, literally brainwashed into believing they're just an animal. There is no right and wrong. And then they get mad at people who do things that they don't like. And they say, that's not right. According to the evolution worldview, there is no right and wrong. There is no absolute truth. You're just a bunch of molecules in motion. That's all you are. Matter of fact, you're not really even thinking about this because you don't have thoughts. Those are just chemical reactions that go off in your brain according to the evolution worldview. So there's no right thinking and wrong thinking. It's just a chemical reaction. So why would you get mad at me and say that I have wrong thinking when your own worldview says there's no such thing as wrong thinking? It just doesn't make sense. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready always to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer. I find that a lot of people today are not ready to give an answer. So that's why we do what we do. I do a live show every Wednesday. Uh, and we have a show on our website, creationtoday.org. And we put it on all our social media platforms. I'd love to get a follow from you on whatever you use. Just at Creation Today or at Eric Hoven. Because we're putting out content that is discipling the body of Christ. It's challenging the unbelievers. And it's discipling the body of Christ. That's our whole goal. Is to help you know why you believe what you believe. We want you to understand these truths. G.K. Chesterton said, when we cease to worship God, we don't worship nothing. We worship anything. Hey, what is it that people end up worshiping when they stop worshiping God? Oh, I heard it. 
themselves. Me, myself, and I. Humanism. It's all about me. And when we look around at the culture today, when we look around at society today, isn't that what the culture is kind of promoting? It's all about you. It's all about how far you go. It's all about what you do. It's all about how much you get. It's all about your happiness. That's what the whole world is trying to promote today, the idea of humanism. 2 Peter 3 says, Knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers. Now, a scoffer is somebody who makes fun of something. These scoffers specifically are going to make fun of the Bible and make fun of the people who follow the Bible, Christians. It says, and the scoffers are going to be walking after their own lusts, their own selfish desires. Well, one of the scoffers of the last day was a guy named Sir Arthur Keith. He said, evolution is unproved and unprovable. We believe it because the only alternative is special creation, and that is unthinkable. Don't even want to think about that. Julian Huxley, Charles, uh, or, uh, um, Thomas Huxley's grandson. If, if you studied this, Thomas Huxley was known as Charles Darwin's bulldog. He spread evolution all around Germany and then around Europe. And his grandson, Thomas Hux or Julian Huxley, said, I suppose the reason we all jumped at the origin of species was because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. Our morals that govern how we're supposed to act are being interfered with by the Bible. We don't want it telling us what we're allowed to do. We want to do what we want to do. Free love, baby. They were the early hippies right there. That's what they wanted. Hey, the reality is they were rejecting God for more. They were scoffing at the Bible because of the lusts of their flesh for moral reasons. I'll cover this tonight with the kids. Did you know that the old earth worldview that more than 60% of churches teach today from the pulpit. The old earth worldview idea was started by a guy named James Hutton, popularized by a guy named Sir Charles Lyell, and James Hutton would write letters to his friends about his um, escapades, if I can call it that, his immoral behavior, and talk about the different individuals he had been with. And he came up with old earth thinking in order to destroy the credibility of the Bible. The whole idea of old earth thinking was developed as a way to try to get rid of the Bible. And now 60% of churches in America are teaching old earth thinking. Now you may be in here and maybe, I don't know how much you've learned about the whole creation evolution debate. Maybe you've studied it and you're like, Eric, I don't know, man. I kind of think the scientists are right. I kind of think the earth is old. Hey, I'd be happy to talk about that. We could go into detail from Scripture. We could go into detail from science. But I'm telling you, both scientifically and scripturally, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Oh, I wish I had time to go into that right now. But talk to me afterwards, or I'll give you some resources, or we can exchange phone numbers. We'd love to have that, uh, that conversation with you. Here's why. It, every old earth idea introduces sin into the world before Adam comes into the world. You have sin into the world before death, or, uh, um, death come into the world, excuse me, before sin comes into the world. Now you have a theological, biblical problem. Why did Jesus Christ die the death of the cross? To pay the penalty of, what is the, what is the penalty of sin? So Christ is paying the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death. But according to the old earth worldview, God created the world filled with death. 
There was billions of years of death and suffering. It's no longer the penalty of sin. So it undermines the very doctrine of the gospel itself. And I'll talk more about that tonight. If you're old earth, I'd love to have a conversation with you. I promise I'm not going to try to beat you over the head. I'm going to try to convince you. You can try to convince me. That's what a good conversation is all about, okay? But I'm telling you, it really does undermine the gospel. By the way, uh, the first session, I got a series back there. We did a movie called Genesis Paradise Lost. I did a small group based on that called Lost. Really good small group series. I've got it back there on DVD and I got the books, but I give the series away. It's on my website, creationtoday.org slash lost, L-O-S-T, creationtoday.org slash lost. You're not interested in that. Okay, all right, that's fine. Don't write it down. That's fine, that's fine. Um, So if you want to check it out, the very first session of Lost, I'm going to come over here now since we're not favorites. Okay. Um, (laughs) The very first session of Lost, we address what did Jesus think about Genesis? If we're Christians, you know what the word Christian means? Little Christ. If we're Christians, then surely what Jesus taught about things should be important to us and we should believe it. When you find out what Jesus taught and believed about Genesis, you should just go, okay, I may not get it, but God, I trust you, and I'm following Jesus and what Jesus taught. So humanism says the end of all being is the happiness of man. Christianity says the end of all being is the glory of God. Well, the Bible starts off, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is not what the secular textbooks teach the kids today. They say 18 to 20 billion years ago, there was a big bang where nothing exploded. They're still teaching the same thing today. All the matter and energy was packed into a small area, no bigger than the period at the end of the sentence. And it happens every 80 to 100 billion years, we have this big squish and then big bang, according to the atheist and evolutionary worldview. So this is what they're teaching in the textbooks. And I'm not joking, they really do teach this in Scientific American. The observable universe could have evolved from an intestinal region. It is then tempting to go one step further and speculate the entire universe evolved from literally nothing. And that's what they're saying now is the universe came from nowhere. It came from nothing, literally a dot. Uh, Discover magazine, where did everything come from? The universe burst into something from absolutely nothing, zero nada. And as it got bigger, it became filled with more stuff that came from absolutely nowhere. How is that possible? Ask Alan Guth, this theory of inflation helps explain everything. Does that sound very scientific to you? It really isn't. They try to make it sound scientific. It's not at all. But they came up with the Big Bang idea. And you guys have my sound on, right? I don't have it up too loud. But uh, I got, I got, this is Discovery Channel teaching the Big Bang idea. Check it out. 14 billion years ago, the universe was born in a huge explosion of time and space, matter and energy called the Big Bang. Tiny quantum ripples grew into dense patches in the primordial brew. From these, galaxies condensed, a stunning variety of sizes and shapes. So there you have it, guys. That's how the galaxies formed. I thought, oh, I'm going to turn this volume up a little bit. Maybe we won't get as much feedback. Um, I thought, uh, oh, so that's how you teach your theory. You got to make a video, talk with a British accent, and put it on Discovery Channel. (laughs) I thought, well, I'm going to teach the theory of the Big Bang. So I made a video. And I sent it in the Discovery Channel. Check out my video. A little less than 14 billion years ago, all the matter in the universe was condensed into a dot. The dot was very small, believed to be smaller than a period on a page. And then the dot began to spin and exploded. We call this event the Big Bang. 
I don't know why they haven't put mine on Discovery Channel. I feel like I did a lot of work on that, and it really deserves to be on there, okay? But uh, they didn't. Now they're saying that after the Big Bang, the, uh, the oceans formed, and the oceans mixed with the rocks and made what they call primordial soup. I even found some of it. There it is. <laughs> Hope you're not hungry. You have to cook it for 4.5 billion years, okay? So it takes, takes a little while to warm this stuff up. But they say this is exactly what happened. And, and it, it just, it's kind of funny to read their papers because look at what they say. At some point, a few specialized molecules began replicating. This self-replication, scientists agree, kick-started a biochemical process that would lead to the first organisms. But exactly how that happened, how those molecules began replicating, has been one of science's enduring mysteries. We know it happened. We just don't know how. <laughs> like, this isn't science, guys. This, this is not good science. This is, it's, it's really, it's kind of silly. It's kind of embarrassing. It really is somewhat embarrassing. Now, I know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. And let me tell you something. You did not want to be standing in front of the mouth of God when he said, let there be light. You guys know how fast light is traveling? We got some teachers in here. This is an educated audience. What's the speed of light? <laughs> the whole audience knows it. Chris, you've been teaching good here, buddy. Good job, man. 186,000 miles per second. Guys, light can go around planet Earth seven and a half times in one second. That's booking. That's really, really fast. That's the same as 11,160,000 miles in one minute. That's the same as 669,600,000 miles an hour. I know you got your fast car and, your fa and I got my fast bike, but we're only using these last <coughs> three. Um, we're, we're only using like a couple of those digits there, like light, 669,600,000 miles an hour. That's the same as 5.88 trillion miles every year. Now, your brain does not understand that. My brain does not understand that because we don't understand the difference between million billion and trillion. Congress knows this. They take advantage of it all the time, okay? So, that'll be one billion oh, trillion dollars. Okay, so they know this. So how much is a trillion? I mean, I want you to understand 5.88 trillion miles. How far is that? It's a long ways, okay? I want you to understand what a trillion is, okay? Addy, we're going to use money just so we can speak your language. How much is a trillion? We'll start with $100 bills. If we had a half inch thick stack of $100 bills, that would be $10,000. That's what 10 grand looks like in $100 bills. If that's 10,000, what's a million look like? A hundred of those. So there's $1 million in $100 bills. That's what it looks like. Not that impressive anymore, is it? <laughs> That's it? Yeah, that's it. Uh, got a million dollars. Good for you. Yay. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo. Okay, so if that's a million, what's a billion look like? You ready? One billion dollars in hundred dollar bills. <whistles> if that's a billion, what's a trillion look like? You ready? 
$1 trillion in $100 bills. Those pallets are all double stacked. Wow. Is there a difference between million, billion, and trillion? Oh, my goodness. Guys, light is traveling 5.88 trillion miles every year. That's a long ways. When scientists measure how far away things are in space, they don't use an inch to tell us how far away things are. They don't use the foot. They don't use a mile. They use a light year. 5.88 trillion miles is the inch of space to tell how far away things are. What? 5.8 trillion miles is like the little bitty measuring stick of space. I wonder if you've ever thought about space like this. I mean, we got the sun, which is like the big giant star of our solar system. It's 93 million miles away. And we're really glad it's about that far away. It just works out just right, okay? Beautiful day outside today. 90 million, whoo! Hot tamale, okay? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a scorcher right there. 98 million, ooh, big problem. 93 million, just right, just right. Now, our, our sun is the center of our galaxy. We've got our, our solar system. Uh, so we've got the solar system, which is the sun and the eight planets. There used to be nine. We kicked Pluto out a couple years ago, poor guy. Anyway, so you've got the eight planets. Um, and then, uh, by the way, this is what the planets look like next to And you guys are familiar with this stuff, right? So we've got our solar system. Our solar system is inside of a galaxy. What's our galaxy called? The Milky Way. And our galaxy is one of the galaxies in the whole, whole universe. This is the world, but all, all the galaxies, is, we call it the universe, the whole universe. Now, I don't know how accurate this is, but I do find it interesting. That word universe, you ever thought about that word? Uni means one, and a verse is a spoken sentence. Just kind of interesting. We live in a universe, you know. I'm just saying, okay. So, so anyway, if we were to if we were to examine our planets uh, of our sol of our um, solar system and put them next to each other and put them size comparison, this is what it would look like. There's Earth and Neptune, and they ought to rename that one. But anyway, Saturn and Jupiter. There you have all the planets next to each other. If we were to zoom out and put the sun inside this, this is what the sun would look like compared to the planets. You could fit one million planet Earths inside of the sun. Yeah. People think, oh man, the sun is huge. Uh, <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble. It's not that big. Let me show you how big some of the other stars out there are compared to our sun. It's nearly a million miles in diameter. Yet, our sun is tiny compared to the really big stars out there. Eta Carinae, over five million times larger than our sun. Betelgeuse, 300 times larger than Eta Carinae. If it was our sun, it would reach as far out as Jupiter. And then there's this monster, V.Y. Canis Majoris, 
the largest star ever discovered, a billion times bigger than our sun. Last year, they found one bigger than that. Wow. It is, it's a big world out there. Like, it's a massive world out there. Scientists are looking up at all this space, and they're going, what is it doing? What is it there for? What's the point? You know, David, he never had a telescope, and he figured out what the heavens were doing. He said, I'll tell you what's going on. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. The, the, there's no speech nor language where their voice isn't heard. You can't look up without going, wow, God. A.W. Tozier said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Hey, church, here's the challenge for us this morning. What comes into your mind when you think about God? What comes into our mind when we think about God? Can I be honest? I'm a little bit concerned. You guys have all the kids in here. I love this. Some of you need to think back. You remember what it was like to be, how old are you, buddy? How old? Seven. You remember what it was like to be seven, man? You're like, man, hey, mom, hey, dad. Is God as big as this whole building? And mom or dad's like, oh, yeah bigger than the whole building, and you're like, whoa, pff, mind blown. And then you get a little bit older, and you're like, oh, hey, mom, dad, is God as big as all of Georgia? And mom or dad's like, bigger than all of Georgia, and you're like, whoa, pff, mind blown. And then you're like, hey, mom, hey, dad, is God as big as the whole world. And mom or dad go, bigger than the whole world. No way! Mind blown! But then somewhere along the way, we lose sight of the greatness of God. And we start focusing a whole lot more on us. And we stop thinking about how awesome God is. And how God does everything for one purpose. His glory. I grew up in a church a lot like this. Can I tell you what happened to me? I shared in a story called God Quest. I became the product of my church environment instead of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Pastor Aaron shared the stat. 80% who grew up in church will walk away from Christianity after one year of college. Can I submit this to you and you tell me what you think about this? Could it be that 80% of our kids that go off to college reject Christianity because... 80% of our kids that go off to college aren't Christians when they go off to college. 
They've gotten good, like I did, at becoming the product of an environment. We've learned what to say and what not to say, because otherwise you've got to bend over. <laughs> I knew how to cut my hair. I knew how to be accepted among my peers. But my desire for righteousness was a desire for popularity and acceptance. It wasn't a God-given desire for righteousness. It wasn't until I was in my 20s. I heard a message called Hell's Best Kept Secret. I put that message on my website so that anybody who wants to can hear it. Hell's Best Kept Secret. And the guy delivering the message, his name is Ray Comfort. He shares the difference between the modern gospel and the biblical gospel. And he talks about the difference between a fear-filled convert and a tear-filled convert. I'll never forget. It was, it was when in that message, I watched it four times in a row one night. I watched it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Watched it. I went, oh, my goodness. This is what this means. Watched it again, recognizing that I had lived my life as a false convert. I was a tear. I wasn't the wheat. Four time, after the fourth time I watched it, I just bowed on my face before God, and I repented on God's terms, not my terms. And it was when he got to the point where he told the story of, of when Joseph was tempted with Potiphar's wife, when Potiphar's wife tempted him. I mean, she grabbed his coat. She wanted him so bad, and he left it. He said, how can I do this? And sin against God. All of a sudden, I realized my sin isn't against other people. My sin is against God. He shares the story of David with Bathsheba. And when confronted by Nathan the prophet, remember the story? The neighbor only had one sheep and he sacrificed that sheep. David rent his clothes and he did not say, against Uriah have I sinned, against the people of Israel have I sinned. He said, against God and God alone have I sinned. And all of a sudden I realized, my sin is not against others, my sin is against God. Man, it's like God opened my eyes to my, my wicked heart and I truly repented and trusted in Christ. I gotta tell you, I had heard about becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. I had heard about a godly desire for righteousness. Now I had a godly desire for righteousness. Man, if you're part of the church environment, and you're just the product of that, and you're not a true believer. Let me tell you something. That doesn't get you to heaven. We don't get to heaven on mom and dad's faith. You've got to have your own. So if you've never repented and trusted in Christ, the most important thing I could urge to you today is examine yourself and make sure that you're in the faith. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you are, does your life show that? Because it will bring forth works worthy of repentance. We'll, we can see that. We all know people who've claimed Christianity, but you can't tell any difference in their life. And I go, man, I got to tell you, God might have done something to your heart, but he certainly hasn't done anything through you yet or with you yet. Because it's not on the outward yet. We're not seeing it yet. I'm not saying the works save you. I'm saying that true salvation will bring about the works. Faith without works is what kind of faith? It's a dead faith. It's a dead faith. 
Romans 11 is so clear. How unsearchable are, the, are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Do you guys know that God is really smart? Do you, do you guys figure that one out yet? God kind of knows a lot of stuff. Matter of fact, he knows so much that he knows everything. You got that one figured out? Okay. I don't know if it's ever dawned on you. Nothing's ever dawned on God, okay? I mean, he, he's that smart, okay? His ways are past finding out. Wow, this, this passage, I'm telling you, you go through all of Romans is incredible. Man, chapter 11, incredible. But these three verses, verse 33 through 36, verse 34, who had known the mind of the Lord? Does anybody understand God's mind? Who's God's counselor? Isn't this interesting? Because this is where humanism comes in. Because if you and I were honest, we like to be God's counselor. Don't we? We like to tell God what we think is best for our lives. We pretend like we know better than he knows. And this is where a cosmic battle takes place. Because we're like, we pray for things in our glory. Have you thought about the way you pray? Dear God, Gimme, 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 gimme. Stop him, stop her, do this, do that. Hey, church, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, and I don't want you to think of God as your butler. He is not your butler. You need to see God for who he truly, who he truly is. Has anybody ever given anything to God? Oh, sure, offering plate came, I gave to God. Ah! Boy, would that be nice. If you could give something to God, he would owe you. He'd be indebted to you. You can't give anything to God. You know why? It's already his to start with. Matter of fact, I think it's pretty nice of him to say, hey, you hang on to 90%, okay? <laughs> what? Seriously? Okay, thanks. That's pretty good. Then at verse 36, culminates with this incredible thought. For of him and through him and to him are what? Okay, church, this is really important. For of him and through him and to him are what? The good things? Huh. The pleasurable things? Everything comes from him, goes through him, and goes back to him. Why? To whom be? Church, if you ever get this, it'll help you tremendously. God does everything for one reason. His glory. It's it. It's all for him. It's not for you and it's not for me. It's for his glory. God does everything for his glory. You keep this in mind, I'm telling you, the humanistic gospel says, God did it all for you. True Christianity says, and the Bible says, no, 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 no. He did it all for him. He did it all for his glory. And I recognize I might be swinging the pendulum a little far here, but I want you to understand this. We talk about, a lot about God's love for us and what God did for us. Sometimes i got to be careful about the songs that I listen to. Because some of the songs that are Christian songs today are really more about us and how God did everything. It's all about me. It's all about me. And it's not. It's all about him. It's all about him. 
You cannot read scripture without coming to this conclusion. Isaiah 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, over and over and over, God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I'm not going to give my glory to another. I'm not going to give my praise to a graven image. Remember the former things of old? I am God. There is none else. I am God. There is, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand and I'll do all my pleasure. God does all his pleasure. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and who were they created for? For you? For him. Church, I'm concerned that humanism has crept its way inside and a lot of us are believing that God did it all for us. When in reality, God did it all for himself. Now, don't get me wrong. God does love you. But we call that the byproduct, not the prime product. That's the byproduct of him glorifying himself. And, and you may not think it's a big deal, but I'm telling you, it's a big deal. This little distinction is huge. Because if you can see every circumstance in your life through this lens, God's doing this for his glory. I don't know how he's going to get it, but he's doing this for his glory. That'll change your world. If you were to look at politics, nation against nation, and you were to say, I don't understand it, I don't like it, God says he's doing all this for his, he will get the glory out of this. How do I glorify God in this? How do I please my heavenly father in this? All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the power of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? But what do you and I try to do? God, why'd you do that? How come you did that? What was that for? What good's that going to do? Be careful. I don't think you know who you're dealing with. You're dealing with the creator of heaven and earth. You're dealing with God. Let's shrink our solar system down to the size of a quarter. I think I got a quarter in here. Oh, I'm wrong. I don't have any sense at all. Um, we're going to shrink our universe or our solar system down to the size of a quarter. Does anybody have a quarter so I can just like do this as an illustration? Okay, if you got one, you know, just bring it or throw it or something carefully. Okay, so we're going to shrink it down to the size. That's the whole solar system. So that George Washington's earwax is the sun. She's got one. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I'll try not to steal this. I'll just be a Baptist. Borrow and never return. <laughs> okay. Um, I digress. So the, George Washington's earwax right there, that's our sun. The edge of this quarter is the, is the orbit of Neptune or Pluto, you know, whichever one you want to think, okay? So that's the edge of the quarter, and that's our entire solar system. If this is our solar system, how big is the Milky Way galaxy? Now, remember, we're not in the middle of the Milky Way. That's crazy in there. Lots of crazy activity with stars and stuff. So we're way over on the edge in the Milky Way galaxy. You won't stand there. You, you're right there on planet Earth, okay? And uh, you're going around the sun, and you got your telescope, and you're looking up. Woo! Wow! Okay, that's you sitting in that little auditorium on that little bit. Okay, on that speck. How big is the Milky Way galaxy? As big as uh, this entire auditorium? Bigger. As big as noon in Georgia? 
bigger. As big as Texas? Ain't nothing bigger than Texas. <laughs> bigger. If this were our solar system, the Milky Way galaxy would be represented by North America, Canada, Mexico, and the United States. And that's you. How many stars would you put in your solar system or in your galaxy to get those little bitty people's attention? How big would you make it? You know, they say if you were to travel at the speed of light, 5.88 trillion miles a year, it would take you 100,000 years to get from one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other side of the Milky Way galaxy. Wow. How many stars would you put in there? Remember, you're trying to get their attention. You want those little bitty people to live their life for you because you created them. You want them to worship you. How many stars does it take to get their attention? A million? 10 million? 20 million? A billion? 20 billion? 100 billion? Scientists estimate that in the Milky Way galaxy, there are 200 plus billion stars. And then he made another galaxy. And then another galaxy. And then another galaxy. Matter of fact, scientists did an experiment. They looked up at a section of the sky where they thought there were no stars at all. The section of the sky that they zoomed in on was the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length. That's the section of the sky they zoomed in on right there. Left the shutter over a 10-day period. They left the shutter open for over 100 hours. If there was any, even, a, even a pinpoint of light, one little star, they wanted to see it. When they got the photograph back, science's jaws dropped. You want to see it? This is from one speck of the sky. This is what they saw. By the way, those aren't stars. Those are galaxies. Clusters of billions of stars. It's been estimated there are enough stars in our universe, that every single person on earth can own 11, or, uh, yeah, 11 trillion of them. You can have 11 trillion of your own stars, Addy. Go name them. Total number that they believe, like that we've calculated, that we think, 76 trillion stars in our universe. Now, that's a lot of stars, but you want me to believe that all those stars formed in the last 13.4 billion years? Do you realize how fast stars would have to be formed in order to get that many stars in 13.4 billion years? You'd have to form stars at the rate of 165,000 per second for all 13.4 billion years to get that many stars. We don't see that happening. We live in Pensacola. We have the beautiful Gulf Coast beaches. If you ever want to come down there, awesome down there. We love them. Scientists calculated how many grains of sand are on Pensacola Beach. They added that number to the number of, the sands, uh, number of grains of sand on the next beach over, Navarre Beach. And kept going, Panama City Beach, all the way around Florida, all the way around the United States, and then around the world. Calculating the number of grains of sand on all the beaches of the world. Added that to the number of grains of sand in all the deserts of the world. The number they came up with? Seven and a half quintillion grains of sand on planet Earth. You know what this means? Ah, 
There are more stars in the sky than pieces of sand on our planet. Well, almost 10,000 stars per grain of sand. Wow. Oh, this, I got I to show you. I got to let you watch this video, okay? Uh, I, I got two more things that I want to show you. No, I got to skip this in for a second time. Okay, I'm sorry. You need to go watch this, okay? It's the largest photograph ever taken. You need to YouTube it. Largest photograph ever taken. It's of the Andromeda Galaxy. It's a one and a half gigapixel image. I won't show you the whole thing here. Uh, it's a one and a half gigapixel image, and it's one quarter of the Andromeda Galaxy. And it is impressive. As they zoom in, and then zoom in, and you start looking at all the stars in the Andromeda galaxy. This is from one little bitty speck in the sky. It's incredible. Huh. God said he calls the stars by their names. He measured heavens with his span. David said, O Lord, our Lord, who has set thy name in all thy, how excellent is thy name in all the heavens, who has set thy glory above the heavens. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of God that thou visitest him? Who are we compared to God? Listen, guys, God made the world perfect. And sin came into God's perfect creation. Sin destroyed it, wrecked it, ruined God's perfection. And God said, even in that, I'm going to get the glory. Because he did what nobody would have done. When death came into this world, he did what nobody would have done. And that's the most important message you'll ever hear. I skipped that other video so I could show you this one. Some of you remember 1977, we launched a space shuttle called Voyager. Any of you remember Voyager? Its mission was to go out to deep space. We were trying to get to the edge of the quarter, okay? <laughs> and send us pictures back. I made a video of what Voyager did for us. Check this out. On September 5th, 1977, NASA's Voyager 1 launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida, aboard a Titan Centaur rocket. Initially designed to last five years, today, more than four decades after launch, Voyager 1 is still sending back data as it explores interstellar space. One and a half years after launch, Voyager 1 had reached Jupiter. For the first time, we were seeing close-up images of this giant in our solar system. Voyager's next event was an encounter with Saturn. Visible from the Earth with the naked eye, our appreciation grew with what seemed to be personal portraits of Saturn with her rings and her moons. Continuing away from the Earth at 40,000 miles an hour, Voyager continued to stay in contact with planet Earth. In 1990, NASA gave Voyager what they thought would be its last command. Focus your camera back toward home and send us a picture of what you see.
what it captured was remarkable. There, as a faint speck, was our home. This image, is, oops, sorry, this image is called the pale blue dot, and it's said to be the most remarkable image ever captured by mankind. The pale blue dot. One of the most famous atheists of our day, Carl Sagan, wrote an entire book about this pale blue dot. As he looked at it, and he, he contemplated life on earth. I want to read a portion of his quote to end us today in hopes that maybe an atheist would teach us all a lesson. He said, if you look at it, you see a dot. That's here, that's home, that's us. On it, you, everyone you've ever heard of, they list people that you would have heard of. They lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and in triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of the dot on sacredly distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner of the dot. He said, in all this vastness, there's no help, there's no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. Carl Sagan. That's what he saw when he saw the pale blue dot. God saw it differently. Philippians records God's knee-jerk reaction to your sin and my sin. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He said, this will teach them who they're dealing with. I'm going to die the death that nobody wants to die. And I'm going to do that for them. Now, why did Christ die the death of the cross? He tells us, wherefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, to the, why did Christ die the death of the cross? For God's glory. Hey, Christian, be careful. Don't let humanism creep its way into this church. Or you think, God did all that for me. That's the byproduct. The prime product is he did that for his glory. What comes into your mind when you think about God? It's the most important thing about you. 
Is God somebody you just come and deal with every once in a while, you know? Want to make sure I'm good with the big man upstairs? Or is the king of kings and is he the Lord of lords in your life? What comes into your mind when you think about God? I know I went long. Sorry about that. I just want you to realize, man, the more I look up, the more I quest after God, the more I realize who I am and the more I realize who he is. And I don't want humanism to destroy your church. It's done a great job of ripping churches apart. I want every single member of the church who says, this is my home. I want to, I want to help create followers of Christ through, through Northside to understand that we do this not for our glory, not for Pastor Aaron's glory. We do this for God's glory. What are you doing for the glory of God? Are we doing what really matters in this life? Are we living for the glory of God? If not, what needs to change? Remember, God doesn't want some of it. He wants all of it. What are you doing for the glory of God? Whether you eat or drink, do all to the point on side, if you guys get that. Wow. Unstoppable. Wow. Wow. I'm praying for you. I hope you get it. hope that's your life. If you're here and you're not a believer yet, the first thing you can do to give glory to God is surrender. Say, God, I'm sorry. I've been living for myself. I want to live for you. I want to repent and trust. Trust what you did on the cross, your death, burial, and resurrection. Pastor, one of the guys here would love to talk to you about that. Hey, if you're a Christian, let's use everything for his glory. Everything for his glory. Our, our ministry would love to help you in your discipleship and learning more about God's word and God's world. Got some fun resources back there if you want them. We, did a, we started doing a thing where I used to carry on lots of books and stuff. We started putting everything digitally online so you can just download it. And what we do is anybody, if you can grab a little partnership thing back there, anybody who partners with our ministry to help us produce resources, we give you all of our resources. You don't just get one thing, you get all of it. So if you want to do that, you can grab that out there or talk to me about that. Our goal is to help you win this war. Let's do something that's going to matter for eternity. Let's glorify God with our lives. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this Sunday morning. God, I know to go just a little bit long in our, in our talking, but God, we're talking about you. It's almost like, how can we stop? And I get it. But God, you are good. You are amazing. God, would our sight shift from this earth to you? Would we stop looking at the temporal and be able to look at the eternal? Would we live our life for your glory? If there's somebody here that's not saved, Heavenly Father, would you open their eyes? Do what I and no other human being can do. Open their eyes to your spiritual truth. For, for the believers in here, may we live our life for what really matters, and that is your glory. I want to thank you for it. And your precious and holy Holy, holy name, the name above all names. We pray these things. Amen. Amen. We stand and sing together. From the highest of heights to the depths of the sea, creation revealing your name.
Our ushers are going to come forward. We're going to begin to take up our love offering. If you have cash, you can certainly do that. If you have a check, you can make that out to Northside Baptist Church, and then we'll collect all that and send that to Eric. So, men, if you'll come forward and just start taking up that offering, Eric will be available out in the foyer when we're done. He's got a table out there. While they're taking up the offering, let me make a few announcements, draw your attention to some announcements. This week, uh, one of our members uh, who is not physically able to come any longer, Miss Aletha Purcell, turns 100 years old. So if you know Miss Aletha, you want to call her or send her a card, uh, please do that. On Saturday, we have our men's breakfast at 8 a.m. That's Saturday, November 11th. I want you to be part of that. And then also you'll see in the bulletin uh, the MOST. Uh, our IMB missionaries in Ecuador are going to be at Royal Baptist next Sunday. Now, we don't have any evening activities next Sunday, so if you have met the Moss, you're interested in that, you can go to Royal Baptist. They're just going to have a reception. You can hear from them, uh, get to know them better, so I want to encourage you uh, to do that. While we're continuing to take up our offering next Sunday, when you come in, if you've never been with us on our Thanksgiving lunch, this sanctuary will look very different. Rather than sitting in those nice, comfortable chairs, you're going to be sitting in black chairs at a table. 
but it's the only way we can have room enough for all of us to eat. It's a lot of fun, so I want to encourage you to come worship with us in here, and then we'll have uh, Thanksgiving lunch. Just a couple announcements. Miss Robbins still needs two ladies to make a large pan of dressing. She'll provide you the pan. You just need to bring the dressing. Robin will be in the foyer if you are interested in helping. We need 15 ladies to make a dessert. We love dessert. As Baptists, we love to eat dessert. Robin's going to be in the foyer. If you want to make a dessert, go to her. Say, hey, what do you need? And I'll make it. Then we also need people to bring either a cold side item or a hot side item. Bring it a large amount. We're feeding over 200 people. So bring that. Um, bring it in a container that will keep it at the appropriate temperature. We don't have a ton of fridge space, and we do worship, and you come for Sunday school. And also, please bring a spoon if possible. It's one less thing uh, we have to um, wash. It's an incredible time. Uh, next week on Saturday is Veterans Day. Um, so as part of our Thanksgiving service, we're going to recognize our veterans uh, we're also going to spend a few minutes as we're coming up on our 30th anniversary of Northside and taking a few minutes to kind of reflect upon that um, and give praise and glory uh, to God for that. At this time, Pastor Gary's going to come. He's going to lead us into benediction. He'll be available for, for a few minutes after the service. If you would like him to pray with you, I'll be in the foyer. But before we do our benediction reading, he's got something he's going to share, a praise that we want to give to God. On uh, Friday, I got to witness a graduation of one of ours. So for those of you that didn't see her uh, today yet, Jerry Carter is back. She's graduated. She's a U.S. Marine. Stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. Stay on your feet. All right. Let's say our, this benediction together as has been our tradition for a little while. Please say, please say it with me. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go live sin.